Oh, I hate that British lady. There's something outside. What is that? radios on the shoulders of giants talking old timers with Thomas Steenberg, the one, the only Thomas Steenberg. I have him in the studio here with me. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing just fine, Jubal, just fine. Good, good. I know last time we did the show, you you had some uh, issues with your knee, and you said that, that you're much better now, and I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's all part of getting older, Julie. That's the problem. You don't recover from things as fast as we used to. No, don't bounce back like we did when we were spring chickens. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> I hear you. So um, tonight I'll tell you what we have, a very special guest, someone who I have uh, admired for quite some time, um, a breath of fresh air in the the world of bigfootery and cryptozoology in general. Um, now this person, I'll tell you, he's got a heck of a bio. He's deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine, um, and, and a research fellow with the nonprofit educational organization, the Committee for Skeptical Skeptical Inquiry. Where, nonetheless, he has a colleague by the name of some people might know, the name Bill Nye. Yep. And he has written thousands of articles on all kinds of topics, urban legends, phenomena, cryptozoology, the important, ever so important critical thinking, media literacy. He is author, co-author, contributor to over 20 books. He's won awards for his books, films, podcasts. I mean, I could just go on and go on. He, he's been quoted as an expert by hundreds of media outlets like CNN, ABC News, BBC, CBC, The New York Times, Forbes. Uh, I mean, just Fortean Times, Huffington Post, I, Wall Street Journal. My goodness. Um, I would have to say that with creds like that, the man knows his stuff. And I am speaking about Ben Radford, and he is here in the studio with us. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. We are so glad you took the time out of your, I'm sure, very busy schedule with all the stuff that you got going on to join us. Um, I, I like I said, I've I've been following you for quite some time. I love your um, writing style and 
how you are not afraid to, you know, speak truth in this whole enigma. Uh, and as the three of us know, some of the stupidest stuff that happens in the Bigfoot world, um, we could sit here all day and talk about that. But I wanted to invite you on um, to touch base on a couple of things. But first, I wanted I wanted to know how did you um, get involved in the whole like the urban legends, the mysterious phenomenon, such the the Bigfoot thing. How did you end up getting into that? Well, you know, um, basically, like any kid, you know, I think I was eight, ten, twelve, or something. And, um, you know, I would see these TV shows uh, back in the day. Back in my day, you know, this would be, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, TV shows like, you know, um, Unsolved Mysteries and That's Incredible and um, and uh, In Search of and things like that. And uh, I would see these TV shows um, about, you know, mysterious phenomena. So it would be, you know, the, the usual stuff. There would be a triangle, the Loch Ness Monster, psychic aliens, and so on and so on. And, um, you know, I grew up in a small uh, rural town in New Mexico out in the desert, um, in New Mexico in the, in the southwest. And, and I was kind of disappointed because, you know, I, I didn't live in the Pacific Northwest, so I didn't really have much chance of seeing Bigfoot. Of course, you could argue that even if even if I did live there, <laughs> I still wouldn't have much of a chance to see it. But you know, but I, you know, when I was a kid, there were all these really earth-shaking, amazing mysteries that I was reading about and hearing about and seeing on TV and in magazines and stuff. And I was a voracious reader, and so I would uh, I would go to the library, you know, I'd fill up library cards by the dozen. I'd go to used bookstores and plunk down my allowance and take home armloads of books and I'd read them over the summer. And I just loved all these mysteries and, you know, all just these fantastic stories. Um, but I, I, I gradually sort of noticed something in, in all these books and TV shows and magazine articles, which was that there was very little actual investigation. Um, most of what I was reading was, you know, it is said that. And, you know, according to, you know, an unnamed hunter in 1962, and I'm like, Hold on, why is he unnamed? <laughs> Who is this person? Give me a date, give me a time, give me a name, give me give me something tangible that I can follow up on. And so I I sort of was uh, again, I was interested in these mysteries, but I I kind of got disillusioned after after a year or two because it was the same recycled stuff and I I recognized there was very little actual investigation. Not to, not, not to say there was none. I mean, there was a little bit. But most of what I was reading and seeing on TV just seemed to be rehashed and recycled with very few people actually doing the, the legwork and the, you know, the shoe leather of doing research. And so I said, well, well hell, if they're not going to do it, then I'll do it. Um, and so I said, you know, when I grow up, I want to in, in, investigate some of these mysteries, but I want to bring science to it as much as I can. So I, I – I uh, ended up. I went to um, went to uh, college and went to university and got a degree in psychology, and that sort of helped inform me in terms of the, the ways in which people can you know view the world and sometimes make, make mistakes and misunderstandings and cognitive errors. Uh, and then I went and got a couple of master's degrees, including in education. So I was interested in all these things, and then also folklore came into it. So the folklore, you know, was you know in terms of legends and stories and rumors. 
and that really informed a lot of a lot of my my thinking about it because I realized that a lot of the things that are that are passing as investigation uh, in Bigfoot, in 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 ghost hunting, and so on, not all of it, but a lot of it is really infused with folklore. And the people that were doing these mm-hmm. these these the, the research, they didn't seem to really they hadn't done much research. They didn't really seem to know about you know investigation protocols. It was all this sort of ad hoc weekend warrior stuff, which is fine. But I said, you know, maybe part of the part of the reason why these remain unsolved, maybe part of the problem, the, the reason these are still mysteries is because you're just not doing good enough research. So if you if you improve the quality of your research, whether it's Bigfoot, psychics, aliens, you know, ghosts, take your pick. Um, my idea was that that you know if, if the problem is if these things are really out there, just to take Bigfoot as an example, if there really are all these Bigfoot out there, thousands of them. Uh, in North America and around the world, uh, then there's then 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 the then the question becomes why haven't people found them right? Why don't we? Why can't you go to a zoo or go to a natural history museum and see one? So the question so if these things are genuinely actually out there, they're physically tangible, they're living and breathing and eating as you and I are speaking, then the question becomes why why is, has the research been so bad that they haven't found them? Uh, so that was sort of what intrigued me about it. Mhm. Wow. Yeah. You know, uh, you you said a lot there, and um, you are. Let me see if I I saw this right. You are actually a member of the American Folklore Society. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm a member member of the American Folklore Society, and also uh, the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research. Uh, and I've spoken wow. and presented it at those conferences. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to, I don't know, probably six or eight conferences over the years, uh, one in Brussels, one in San Antonio, um, Utah, Santa Fe. And, and yeah, and so it, I, I love going to the conferences because, you know, it, it's it's a collection of people who are also interested in folklore. But, uh, you know, it, it's urban legends, it's stories, it's ghost lore, it's, you know, stories about Bigfoot, it's, and so much of what 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 passes for for research often comes down to folklore, and I don't I don't mean that dismissively. I'm not making fun of it because I find it fascinating and I enjoy it. But I mean, the fact is that if if we knew for a fact that Bigfoot existed, if we knew for a fact that ghosts existed or crop circles were made by aliens or whatever it is, then it would be undisputed. There wouldn't be any question. It'd be like we all know this. You know, giraffes exist. <laughs> you know, the the, the capital right. of of U, the U.S. is is Washington D.C. It would be a known unremarkable fact. But the but instead uh, it's contested, right? There there are disagreements. Uh, some people believe it. Some people don't. And I find that idea intriguing. Right, because the question then becomes, um, why you know, given the finite data set, right? Given given the the evidence for Bigfoot, for example, you know, the forensic evidence, the the, the tracks, the the blob squatches, the videos, the you know, this and that and the other. Many of them, as as you well know, are hoaxes. Some, a lot of them mm-hmm. are hoaxes. A lot of them are just you know, who knows what the hell that was. But what I what interests me again, going back to folklore and psychology. Is trying to say, okay, well, how is it that you can take a room of, of 50 people and you show them the Patterson Gimlin film, 
you show them a, a, a alleged you know Bigfoot track, uh, or you know take your pick, and 30 of them say, well that's obviously Bigfoot, and and 15 of them say that's obviously not Bigfoot, and then you know 12 of them say, well I don't know. So that's that's what intrigues me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, because it just depends on who you're asking. Like, example, with the whole Patterson-Gimlin film, if you show a certain person, they're going to laugh and say, well, that's a person in a costume. And then right. somebody else would say, well, they didn't have costumes like that back in the 60s. Right. So, you know, it's just um, – it depends on who you ask. Um, yeah, Thomas, I mean, did you want to jump in with some – Oh, I'm, sorry. Yeah, I'm just babbling on. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, you're, that's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you're fine. All right, Julie. All I want to point out to our listening audience is skeptic and skepticism aren't dirty words. All right? Skepticism doesn't necessarily, and I assume uh, you will agree with me, it, it, it doesn't assume that it's outright dismissal. Yes, absolutely, sure. Right, absolutely. Now, I'm only going to talk on the Sasquatch subject because that's what I deal with. All the other stuff uh, I really only have a blatant interest in. But when it comes to the Sasquatch and the ongoing Sasquatch question, would you agree with me that the biggest problem, like they always had a saying in, and this is another reason why mainstream science has always stayed away with it, kept an arm distance of it for the most part. There was always a saying in British academia, the road to Loch Ness, and it wasn't a good road to be on career-wise. Would you agree that that was <laughs> an act? Yeah, you know, I, that, that's actually an interesting question. I, have, I sort of have mixed feelings about it. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree that on one hand there has been uh, a reluctance of of, of uh, credentialed academics and others, the, the, exactly the people that we need looking into this, um, to to take uh, to take uh, Sasquatch and Bigfoot seriously. Um, at the same time, uh, I want to point out that uh, there are there are some that do exactly that. Uh, Dr. Todd Disatel. Is one example. Mm -hmm. He's done. He's he's he sequenced uh, Sasquatch, alleged Sasquatch uh, DNA. Um, Michael Forstner, uh, a a, um, a, a geneticist uh, in in Texas, who I wrote about in my Chupacabra book. He also has uh, has done genetic testing on on you know suspected cryptids and so on. So I, I I think it's a bit unfair to suggest that well the problem is that that uh, that's, that scientists. Are afraid to be tainted with with, with the you know oh you know you're looking into crazy weird stuff. Um, there may be some element of that, but I think the bigger problem is that you can't blame researchers and geneticists and other scientists if the quality of the evidence they're being presented isn't enough to go on, right? So you 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 go to these you go to these scientists. You say, okay, well, you know, uh, here's a here's a here's a video of something in the woods. Well, what are they supposed to do with that, right? There, so so so, I'll, I'll grant you there is some truth to the idea that well, that that scientists aren't you know taking it seriously. But again, what you know, that's also a function of 
of the the, the frankly you know uh, um, ambiguous and in many cases fruitless evidence that's being offered um you know eyewitness sightings well I'm not dismissing eyewitness sightings. Many of them may be perfectly credible, but there's nothing that a geneticist can do with that. Uh, well, absolutely. I see your point. And it also is not part of the problem the simple fact that a lot of the research community, for lack of a better term, a lot of people who refer to themselves as researchers act more like religious fanatics trying to push a faith rather than someone trying to find an answer to a question. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, I see that all the time, and, and it happens on all sides of the coin. Uh, and that's one reason why, you know, I mean, I remember um, it's going on maybe, I guess, 12, 15 years ago. Um, uh, Jeff Meldrum uh, very kindly invited me to go speak at a conference, he, a Bigfoot conference he's holding in Pocatello. And I went and, I, you know, I gave a talk there. I was the token skeptic, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've met Jeff. I like him personally. I do have some issues with some of his statements, for example, in his book, uh, Legend Me Sasquatch, his Bigfoot book. Um, but, but, you know, and, and so you know, I gave my talk, and people were generally nice to me, with a couple exceptions. But what, one thing I told them, and I remember this very clearly, you know, I, I'm up there on stage, and again, you know, 98% of everybody else there was, was Bigfoot believers, as you might expect, because it's a Bigfoot conference. Mm-hmm. So I said, look, <laughs> I said, I said I'm, and this is a point that you made a second ago, I said, I'm not the enemy here. I said, I am a skeptic, and I make no bones about that. Um, there's a pun in there somewhere <laughs> about no bones. But yeah. I said, look, you know, I, you know, I, I am a researcher. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to make fun of you. I will not mock you. I'm genuinely, if you, if you come to me with your eyewitness sighting or your evidence, I will listen to you. I will, I will, I will take you seriously, and I will look at what you have. And I said. You know, you have to understand that a lot of people out there, and at this point I'm gesturing, you know, outside of the outside of the the big uh, room we were in. A lot of people think you guys are crazy. There, you know, the average person on the street in you know Miami or or Tucson or L.A. or wherever else, they may think that that that, that Sasquatch or Bigfoot is too stupid or silly to research. I completely disagree with that. I I I, I encourage. The, the Bigfoot research. I've done it myself. I've been out in the field. I, you know, I've, I've done this. So I'm not making fun of you all. My goal here, here being at the conference and in general, you know, also being here, is to help people do better research. Uh, again, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's Sasquatch, whether it's you know, ghosts, what have you, is if they look, you know, again, I'm, I, you know, I know that, that as you point out, oftentimes skeptics have a bad name. But usually when people meet me and they realize that I'm genuinely open-minded about it and I will listen to what they have to say, and, you know, I'll give you my opinion. If you want If you want to know the reasons why I'm skeptical that Bigfoot exists, I'm happy to talk to you. But I'm not going to, you know, yell at you and call you stupid, you know, harangue you for hours. I don't care. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I actually have looked into this. I've researched this. I have some degrees, and I have some credibility here. And so all I'm asking for is, is, is a fair hearing and, again, to sort of be treated with the respect that I would give to Bigfoot believers. Well, would you agree with me, Ben? I understand what you're saying, and I kind of knew your position beforehand, uh, that the best advice to give to someone who's into research in this subject is, as a researcher, 
it's just as much your job to look into evidence of its non-existence as to its existence. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's the it reminds me of the, uh, the 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 moral of the Sherlock Holmes story, Silver Blaze. Uh, mm-hmm. Where uh, there was the famous incident, which you guys are probably familiar with, the the dog that didn't bark in the nighttime, and there was a there was a murder, and uh, and the fact that a dog didn't bark was evidence to Sherlock Holmes that that the dog knew uh, the the, per, the the person that had, had committed the act, and so the absence of of a phenomena or a or a fact actually gave you know gave credence to to the explanation. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. when it comes, oh, sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, I'm just go ahead, Thomas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I was just wondering, like, on the ongoing Sasquatch question, would you state that the? Well, I'll tell you what bothers me. We have a little time here. Sure. <laughs> when it comes. When it comes to the evidence of Sasquatch, and I've been looking into this since the late 1970s, I've interviewed hundreds of alleged witnesses. Many impressed me. Many didn't. But when it comes to physical proof of its existence, there's damn, damn little, if any. And that the simple case, the only thing that will prove the existence of such a creature is when science gets what science has always demanded, and that is a body or piece of the body or sufficient skeletal remains. Would you agree with that, Ben, or do you think a video or a good, clear photograph could actually do it? Now, you were talking about DNA analysis a little while ago, and first thing that popped in my head is how could they ever say DNA belongs to a Sasquatch when they have no Sasquatch to compare it to? Right. No, I I completely agree with you. And that's one reason why, you know, when when people ask me about about eyewitness sightings and reports, and you you talked about interviewing hundreds and dozens of many, many eyewitnesses, and I have as well. I'm sure you've you've interviewed far more than I have. Um, but, But what I tell people is that is that eyewitness sightings by themselves aren't evidence per se. They can lead to evidence. In other words, you know, this is why, you know, if someone has a Sasquatch sighting or a sighting of something, um, you know, I, you know I, I'm interested. I will listen to it. I will I'll, I'll be happy to try and follow up as best I can. But what I explain to people is like, you know, w- with all due respect, I wasn't there. You know, in most cases, of course, there was, there was just one person. No, there's no corroborating evidence. There was no, there's no video footage. There was anybody else. And I say, you know, the, the 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 real value in eyewitness testimony is when it leads to something else. So, for example, um, I investigated a um, a Bigfoot sighting in um, in Western New York many years ago. Uh, it was one that Tom Biscardi uh, was <laughs> was was. Uh, oh, and being part of, for better or worse. Um, but the, the reason I bring this up is that uh, this, this person had said, had said they, they had seen a Bigfoot um, on the other side of this fence, sort of in this in this sort of uh, this this pond area. And um, and I, you know I interviewed the witness and I took photos and this and that. Um, and and they're like, okay, well, you know, what about my sighting? I said, you know. I, I said the 
the value is if if you tell me there was a there was a sasquatch or some even if you don't there was some unknown animal under this tree or by this brook or on this beach or whatever it is, um, we can go there and, and look for evidence. We can look for scat. We can look for uh, for you know footprints. I mean, there there may be some uh, some you know hair sample. There may be some forensic evidence that was there. But if all you're giving me is I saw something big and hairy and I can't explain it. My answer is, okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're lying. I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't know, but what you're giving me isn't enough. And so this is why I always tell people, you know, eyewitness accounts, they're fine insofar as they go, but they're not evidence. That at, at best, they can lead to evidence. So that's that's sort of where I come from. And again, this is part of my background in psychology and. And you know, police detectives and psychologists will tell you. And and you know, I always, I you know, whenever I tell whenever I tell this to to people, particularly you know, Bigfoot believers, they oh, you're just saying that eyewitnesses are all lying and mistaken. I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you look at psychology, you look at police detectives, you look at lineups, you look at criminology. The fact is that eyewitness accounts are often very poor, especially under the conditions in which people are reporting. We're talking, you know, oftentimes it's late at night or at dusk from a far distance and so on. So does that mean that all Bigfoot sightings and Sasquatch sightings are mistakes? No. It just means that we're all human. We're all equipped with the same brains, and we, we sometimes misperceive things. We misremember things. We misreport things. And that's just, that's just part of being human. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything more than that. Well, you would do it. Assume agree with me. Uh, when it comes to eyewitness uh, accounts, they're basically interesting anecdotal evidence. It's not our yes. evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, the 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 only exception is if it leads to something. Um, you know, if if it if that eyewitness account. Uh, if you can follow up on it, if it's not so ambiguous that there's nothing to follow up on. I mean, look, if someone says, I saw a Bigfoot, and I'm like, okay, tell me about it. Like, well, you know, it was, it was in 1983, uh, 200, 200 miles from here. Well, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. But if you tell me you saw a Bigfoot, you know, two hours ago in your backyard, we can investigate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, Yes. I will also state that the vast majority, well, like I said, I've interviewed hundreds of witnesses, but I would say 90% of those interviews are people who are telling me about something they saw five years before, ten years before, right. eight years before. Yeah. Very rarely, and it's only happened on a few occasions, have I been told about something that happened within 24 hours of the actual incident. And in those ones we investigate, we found next to nothing other than alleged footprints. Right. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's one of the common common problems. I mean, and that's that's one reason why we need we need you know better quality research. And you know, I'm not not necessarily looking at the BFRO, although I am. <laughs> but we need. I mean, again, Bigfoot is Bigfoot and Sasquatch. It's an important, genuine mystery that that deserves attention. It deserves science, but it deserves good research, not this sort of half-assed, you know, you know, anything goes type stuff, which, you know, you're more, more familiar with than I am. Absolutely, uh, and and you're absolutely right, in my opinion, uh, about eyewitness account and testimony and human nature. I mean, 
all one has to do is look at the phenomenon of the dog man. I mean, before oh. Linda Godfrey wrote her book, The Beast of Bray Road, I had never heard of a single incident. Now right. they seem to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's yeah, and, and that's a good that's a good example. Uh, you know, the the dog man, and also, I mean, not to change the subject too far, but uh, this this uh, one one of the best examples I can give of that because it also applies to Bigfoot is when I was researching uh, for my book Lake Monster Mysteries, uh, which I came out a while back. Um, I investigated uh, Lake uh, Lake Champlain, Champ in Lake Champlain in, in New York and Vermont. And what was really interesting was that uh, there's actually cha- there's a there's a Champ sighting board in Port Henry, uh, which has it's not it's not definitive, but it has uh, several dozen uh, you know high profile Champ sightings of the, of the lake monster there. And what's really fascinating is that if you look at the dates on it, um, the vast majority of them are uh, around 1980 and 81, 82, uh, and the reason that's significant is that, that that was shortly after uh, the most famous photograph of Champ was published. So it was actually, it was actually a photograph taken by uh, Sandra Mancy, uh, a housewife mm-hmm. who, who, who died a while back. A lovely woman, met her, interviewed her for my book, and so on. But what's, what's the, the key here, and the reason this is relevant to, to Bigfoot research, is that uh, the photograph got lots of publicity. In fact, it was in the New York Times in 1981, but the sighting was years earlier in 77. So what's interesting here is that that's a crystal clear case of where the attention to the photograph spurred more sightings because people weren't, people weren't saying, oh, I saw this back in 77. All of a sudden, people are talking about Champ. People are looking for Champ. People are talking about the lake monster. And people who live on the lake and just go by it, it's in their heads there's a monster there, and so they're interpreting floating logs and waves and anything weird as as the as the as the as the lake monster, um, and and the same the same process happens in in all eyewitness sightings, including Bigfoot, where as you guys know, uh, there's this snowballing effect where sightings beget sightings mm-hmm. beget sightings, and mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean you know there, there's two ways to look at that. One of them is that Bigfoot are just have to be more active at that time. Okay, you can you can go with that. The other explanation <laughs> is that people are thinking about Bigfoot and it's on their heads because it's on the news and this and that and the other, and they're more psychologically primed to interpret anything weird as being Bigfoot. Mm. Uh-huh. Have you ever well, read the book? That... That... I was just going to say Julie. that when Finding Bigfoot was on TV and when it first came out and you know, a couple of years into it, um, there was like a huge influx of reports and or new researchers in the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very noticeable. Yeah. Ben, have you ever read the book The Transformation of Bigfoot by Henry S. Sharp? Uh, I don't think I've read that one. I have quite a few Bigfoot books on my shelf, but that's not one of them. Yeah, it's a, an excellent put out with the Smithsonian. Henry S. Sharp was a scholar in residence in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Virginia back in the 80s. And this book was put out in the mid-80s. It deals with the Sasquatch in relation to First Nation, or as you call Native Americans, uh, you know, the Chippewyan people, northern Saskatchewan, okay, 
A lot of people were always wondering about sightings of Sasquatch in the forest areas in northern Saskatchewan. And you have to go in the north to find trees because southern Saskatchewan is just wide open prairie. And the interesting fact is, well, people are saying, well, of course there's Sasquatch here. The Chippewan Indians know about it. It's in their culture and in their history. Sir Henry S. Sharp did a study, and he did it in this magnificent book. They said, yes, they do have it in their cultural history and study. But all reference to the Sasquatch start about 1965. Interesting. Yes. Uh, a lot of First Nation oral history and folklore in a lot of areas is very adaptable. Mm-hmm. And they started talking about Bigfoot. His first thought was, well, they're using the American term Bigfoot in the northern Saskatchewan in Canada, where it's just known as Sasquatch. And he looked into it and he said, yeah, that's because they have television, they read books, mm-hmm. and they start stories. And people who are not First Nation looking at this just assume that it's been part of their cultural history going back to the beginning of time. No, you're where absolutely that, right. And that's yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, yeah. So the transformation of Bigfoot by Henry S. Sharp is a fine example of how things can be adapted and twisted and turned into something completely different than what they are not. Yeah, and that's I mean that and that's one of the problems that I often have, you know, with with uh, some Bigfoot researchers. Um there's a couple that come to mind. Uh but you know, where where their entire thesis, in fact their their niche in the Bigfoot community is as anthropologist or as uh, not not particularly folklorist per se, but you know their their whole thing is is trying to round up and basically recontextualize Native American and First Nations legends as Bigfoot um, and the Sasquatch, and and that's that's problematic for a couple reasons, and for you know for reasons you just mentioned is one of them, but also it it, um, it sort of marginalizes. Uh, and sort of um, tokenizes the the Native American stories and legends. I mean, you, you know, the in a lot of these cases, uh, if you go back and you talk to uh, you, you talk to experts, and they'll say, well, yes, they're what they're referring to is a forest spirit. Like they're the the you know how they interpreted it back then was not the sort of as you pointed out the sort of modern version of Bigfoot that you would see in the Patterson Gimlin film. Like you're going to see in in you know fighting the bionic man, um, the, what they're talking about, uh, and and it's pretty clear if, if if you don't have an agenda, you're not trying to sort of steer it towards a, a more modern interpretation, is they're talking about forest spirits and water spirits, and and again there's that's wonderful that's 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 a beautiful way to look at the world, and there are many many cultures around the world, including in Japan. In, in North America and elsewhere, that that, that have this, this sort of animism and this notion of of spirits dwelling in in, uh, in in features and in the forest, but that 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 doesn't translate into the modern version of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and there are all kinds of examples of passed on in the Sasquatch field, the First Nation names going up and down the coast, Sonequa, Bukwas, Oma, Skookum, and stuff. But there's also a lot of other names that have been uh, 
associated and credited to First Nation origin, i.e., the Mountain Devil, the Mount St. Helens. They say, oh, that's an Indian name for a Sasquatch. I said, well, that's odd, considering they never had any concept of the devil until they had contact with the white man. Yeah, funny how that works, right? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know... I'm ahead, sorry. One thing I wanted to touch on, though, for sure, before um, the end of the show, and that is something that we've kind of glanced over a couple times, is the whole DNA thing. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas, I think you said it really well when you said that it, even if somebody um, does a sequence of a DNA and they came out and said, hey, this is a Sasquatch DNA, unless you can be scientifically verified that that DNA, whether it be hair or a piece of flesh or what have you, unless it was scientifically verified to come off of the body or body part of a verified Sasquatch, you cannot say that it is Bigfoot DNA. Yeah, and of course, I mean, that, that goes back to the, one of the fundamentals of, of science, which is comparison, right? That's the whole idea be, between, behind you know, control groups and placebos. You know, if, uh, if someone says that a, a drug is safe and effective, uh, the, uh, when they're saying that, what they mean is they compared it to a placebo. They compared it to uh, something without an active ingredient, and therefore um, it, what they mean is that, that it's, it's, it's effective beyond placebo, so it's inherent in the, in the comparison, and that's exactly right. I mean, we don't, we don't have... You know, we we don't have uh, a uh, we don't have a reference sample for for Bigfoot. So the best we can do is um, is to is to get something that that is clearly you know maybe a part human or you know with, with you know some mitochondrial 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 DNA that is clearly uh, in the hominin lineage, uh, but that is mixed with you know some other unknown thing the the problem and and you guys know this very well is that too often and i've seen this over and over again including by melba ketchum and others um is that is that they'll they'll do samples and something will come back unknown and they say look it's unknown hold on a second unknown just means unknown and oftentimes the reason it's unknown is because the sample is too too degraded to get anything out of because it was exposed to you know sunlight for example or heat or the sorts of things you would expect in the environment so this is this is part of the problem is that is you know is it unknown or unidentifiable does not mean Bigfoot. It just means that for whatever reason, the sample collected, maybe it was contaminated, maybe it was too degraded to get something out of. There's a number of reasons why it might not, you know, yield uh, serviceable DNA. So it just it just gets frustrating to me when people are sort of like, well, you know, they, they we found the sample and they, they couldn't identify it. it's Bigfoot. That's not what that means. <laughs> I understand right. that, but it also it also doesn't mean it's not Sasquatch either. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, t- talking about Doctor Ketchum, um, as some people oh, remember <laughs> back in <laughs> back in 2012, um, br- bringing back those memories, Thomas. Uh, back in 2012, <laughs> didn't she? Um, 
claim to have proven the existence of Bigfoot through genetic testing and that they were um, half-human hybrid, result of mating with modern human females about 15,000 years ago. Am I right about that? I believe she also said she had proof of angels as well at one point, but that's okay. Yes, she she did say that as well. Um, yeah, Ketchum is a curious character. Um, you know, she uh, I, she first came on my radar um, as you mentioned in 2012. Although she she'd been doing alleged DNA research for for uh, several years before that, I think back in in 2008. Um, and you know, she uh, she began her study, and I use study very loosely. Uh, and she was trying to uh, she was trying to do a, a good thing, which is basically to gather and collect uh, potential mysterious uh, creature, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, who knows, whatever, uh, uh, forensic, uh, forensic, and then do genetic testing on it to determine is there is you know what can we tell from this. There were a couple of problems with it. One of them was that. Um, was that she basically there was there was it's the old garbage in garbage out, um, and I first wrote about it because I was writing for Discovery News at the time, and my editor Discovery said, "Hey Ben, you know you write about Bigfoot and weird things. What's up with this Ketchum study?" I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> I don't even know where to start." Um, but yeah, she again. There's a whole thing we don't have time to go into. It. Basically, she had. She had uh, she had done this research. She collected about um, 1,100 samples of alleged Bigfoot hair, mucus, toenail, bark, scrapings, skin samplings, and so on. Um, now, when I say she collected it, basically she she asked other people to do it. She just she just put out a cattle call. Hey, Bigfoot buffs, if have you have you found anything you think is weird that might be Bigfoot? Send it to me. Uh, I'm sure the smarter yeah. people among you, especially you two, can, can already see the red flags here. Um, <laughs> and sh- sure enough, uh, I think uh, two, do- two or three dozen people uh, sent in what they thought, for whatever reason, was was maybe related to Bigfoot. She uh, she did testing on it, and she concluded um, in a in a uh, in a piece titled Nor- "Novel North American Hominins: The Next Generation Sequencing of Three Whole Genomes Genomes Associated Studies." That in fact, as as Julie just mentioned, that um, in fact she claimed that it proved that Bigfoot existed and that they had made it with with human women um, uh, 15,000 years ago and so on. Uh, but the problem is that um, to the extent that there were um, there were the side that she was able to get DNA from from the from the the, the, the sample that she was given, they were badly contaminated because. Look, there's a reason why at crime scenes they have trained people to collect evidence. They don't just ask random passersby or teenagers, you know, insurance salesmen, target clerks. There, there, there is some science to this. There, proper procedures have to be followed in order to ensure the, the integrity of the samples. And unfortunately, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, she just she just like, hey, I think we were sending it to me. There was no there was no attempt to establish what's good evidence, what's not good evidence, um, and there was this whole thing. And and you know, she she if you read the the study, which I did, um, she she sort of makes a couple nods to like, well. You know, we we, we proved it wasn't um, we proved it wasn't uh, contaminated by the people who collected them because we took their DNA samples and compared it. Well, 
That's fine. Good job, Melba. So you, you have ruled out the person collecting the sample. You have not ruled out everyone else who may have touched it, come across it, peed on it, walked across it, sniffed it, handled it. It, it, the whole thing was just full of red flags, and it was just so embarrassing. And, and she tried to get this published in, in a peer-reviewed science journal. Nobody would take it. She complained, said she was being persecuted, and the, the mean scientists aren't ignoring her and so on. So she she, she created you, – you guys know this – she created her own journal called the De Novo Journal because <laughs> nobody would publish it. And it, they, weren't, they weren't not publishing it because the scientists were afraid of what they would reel. They weren't publishing it because it was garbage, because it was not good science. Uh, she's like, okay, well, screw you. I'll do it myself. And she published mm. this thing, and it was just this fiasco. And I was just <laughs> I was like, wow, yeah. okay then. Something oh, in oh. your own journal doesn't qualify as peer review. Uh, yeah, it, no. just, it was just so uh, – just the whole thing was just so bizarre. And – and um, you know, and then it turned out that she it turned out that she was actually accused of professional misconduct uh, related to forensic analysis in Texas. Um, it was just it, the the story just gets you couldn't write this. <laughs> this is like a bad melodrama, like a, some bad telenovela, where every time you turn around, yeah. there's some you're like, wow, what what is this fresh hell? Why why is anybody taking this seriously? But you know, whatever. Uh, well, now, back in April, about April 20th, I believe, you um, posted an article on the Center for Inquiry uh, website about this because, mm-hmm. lo and behold, it's the return of Melba Ketchum and her yes, GoFundMe. And they collected over twenty three thousand dollars, if I'm if I'm correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she. Uh, you know, I honestly, I thought she had gone away. I mean, I thought she was so embarrassed by the whole fiasco. And then, of course, part of me is like, you know, for as much flack and grief as I get from Bigfoot believers, like, oh, the mean skeptics, the skeptics are doing harm to our community. No, no, sweetie. No, no, no. Uh-uh. You need to look in the mirror. It's, it's your own people that are doing far more harm to the Bigfoot research community than skeptics ever have, including, you know, again, we don't need to go into the rogues gallery. But, um, but yeah, so, so he, but here's the kicker. Not only, and he mentioned this a second ago, not only is she claiming to, to sequence Bigfoot DNA, but also uh, dogman, giants, wow. probably angels. Chupacabras, I'm guessing fairies, dragons. I don't even know. I I, I don't even know. No, seriously, dog man? Seriously? Yep. Yep, that's what she says. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, she managed to get people to, you know, again, she's raised uh, last count over $23,000. Frankly, I'm wondering how much much is she charging people to do sequencing? I mean, does it really cost $23,000 to sequence some? I I don't know, but I'd be shocked if if all that money is going to do some sequencing. But, you know, whatever. You know, if people want to send their money, more power to you. Wow. Okay, so the donors have to be the donors will be kept informed of the progress by signing an NDA yep. non disclosure agreement. Because that's how um, science works, you know. Uh, 
I mean, I was just blown away when I saw your article that day that you had posted it because, I mean, it was like I'm in the flipping twilight zone. Who is giving money for this after the the, the conundrum of madness that we all endured in 2012? I I don't know. I mean, again, it's you know, in some ways, it's 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 actually a good example to me. Of it's, a, it's sort of a counterexample to the claim that you sometimes hear about how, well, you know, the reason we haven't found good hard evidence of, of Sasquatch is that, uh, is that, you know, no one's taking it seriously and there's no money in it. And, you know, there, there, there have been no well-funded efforts, which is total garbage. You know, Tom Slick back in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was. That was serious money, and it was serious efforts to find to find the Yeti. So, don't tell uh, me that gotta, there's no money for this. I got to cut you there because Tom Slick may have been a Texas millionaire. But if you talk to the people who were involved in the Pacific Northwest Expedition in 1957-58, you never would have known it because everyone involved used their own vehicles, brought their own food, and did their own thing. (laughs) And the only thing Tom Slick provided was one chainsaw that didn't work. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Well, you know, unlike conflict, Melba's got plenty of money. So, I mean, look yeah. uh, again. You know, if 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 what she, you know, I don't, I'm not criticizing Melba because I dislike her. I've never met the woman. Uh, she's probably nice. I don't know. Um, but my issue is not that sh- that somebody is is researching uh, Bigfoot genetics because I think that's a great idea. I I support that. Mm-hmm. I would give money to it. But but it has to be done right. You have to use good science. You have to have somebody who ha- doesn't have a background, uh, <laughs> doesn't have a, a professional misconduct related to forensic yeah. research. <laughs> I mean, come uh, on, yeah, guys. There is that, you know. And, would you, um, and would you get me so pissed off about this whole thing. If you it, it, there's people that support this a hundred thousand percent. And they hang on every word that that Dr. Ketchum puts out there, and boy, do they get pissed at you when you tra- challenge them. And the whole thing is just ridiculous. Yeah, again, I mean, you know, I, it wasn't, and, you know, of course, any time I write about the Bigfoot community, I get accused, oh, you're just a mean skeptic, you're doing a hit job, it's a smear job, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to debunk and dismiss. No. No, I'm trying to do good research. I'm trying to encourage people to do good research. I'm trying to call out bad research. And that's a function that, unfortunately, the Bigfoot community and others as well are not doing on your own. So I don't – it's like – I mean, I don't want to say no one's doing it, but it's it's not being done nearly as much as it should be. Um, and oh, again, no. I, I, it's just a problem that – like in my case, it's always been a problem. You're doing it on your own time, your own money, and you can only do it in between the times you're actually trying to earn a living. Exactly. And I think the best conclusion uh, would be for all potential researchers out there is look up the Sasquatch mystery. And I'm only talking about the Sasquatch mystery here as a zoological mystery and just adopt the same philosophy I always have. Stick to the fact and never deviate from the facts. I could not agree more. All right. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I, I think that um, we do have some some really good investigators and researchers out there. And I, one of the biggest 
uh, complaints I hear is, you know, the technology needed for some of the stuff, the the prices, you know, stuff starts to come down after it's been out a few years. But, you know, to really get, get some good technology out there, you're going to be spending thousands of dollars. Oh, my right. God, yeah. I, mean, I, I tried to get a DNA study done on some hair, and it was like, they wanted like eight thousand dollars, and I said, well, "Why does it cost so much to put?" <laughs> I don't get it. But then again, I'm not a professional. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm. Talking about. Well, it does. keep, keep I mean, in mind that that you know that that at, at some level, and this is this is sort of this speaks to the democratization of Bigfoot research. Is that if all these creatures are out there, and again, as you guys know, there need to be thousands of them, certainly in North America alone, then all you really need is a good pair of hiking boots, right? In theory, any 14-year-old kid or anybody else uh, could be hiking through a rural area and find a Bigfoot body. That is possible. That is, you know, assuming that they're assuming that they're they're actually out there. And the same mm-hmm. thing with. With all sort of evidence, so when people say, "Well, you know, you know, the reason we haven't found Sasquatch is because, you know, because uh, Kim Kardashian isn't giving us five million dollars to find it," you don't need that. Well, <laughs> this is, you know, it, seriously, you know, don't complain because Bill Gates and Elon Musk aren't funding this. Go do the research, and and you know, and the and the money will follow. But at the end of the day. You know, technology is getting better and better every day. The 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 cameras that I have on my cell phone uh, and smartphone are much better than even Hollywood had 15 years ago with the resolution. Oh, yeah. that, that, you know, we have drones now. We have you know trail cams. There's there's no reason in the world that I can see. And again, we we could talk about this another time. But there's you know, with each passing day, uh, there are more and more people who are you know in rural areas. Uh, maybe they're not all deep in the woods, but keep in mind, as you know, Bigfoot are seen in populated areas as well. That, that's how they're sighted. They're, you know, they're not being seen in the remotest parts of Siberia. They're being seen in Pennsylvania. They're being seen outside of Spokane. So, so at some point, you have to say, "Oh, hold on here. We have all this, all this technology that's cheaper and cheaper. I mean, I can go to Costco and get a high definition trail cam." They'll record, you know, 42 hours of footage uh, in high quality for $119. So at some point you have to say, hold on here, you know. The the technology is there. It's not that expensive depending on what you're looking at. And why aren't we seeing better quality evidence? And why is it that, that we're still going back to even to this day? I mean, that's you know, I mentioned earlier when I was in, at the Pocatello, Idaho conference that, that Jeff invited me to. You know, I, I was part of the reason I went there was to see, the, the you know what's the latest on on Bigfoot you know what's the newest videos and you know what they went to of course the Patterson Gimlin film from yeah. the Johnson administration right from 1967 <laughs> this is before I was born and I'm old as dirt so it's like you know at some point you say hold on here <laughs> why is it that the, the 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 gold standard dates back to <laughs> it just well, I don't yeah. get it. I know, and you know that's that is very frustrating. Um, and then, I mean, this this could be a, a whole other show that we do. But the reason why, Ben, that we can't find the Sasquatch is because they are interdimensional. <laughs> well, of course, well, no, there's that. Yeah, I, that's the obvious answer. But yeah, <laughs> let's not get into that. There's. 
In interviewing a witness, always remember there's only three possibilities. Only three. One, they saw a Sasquatch. Two, they mistook someone or something for a Sasquatch. Or three, they're lying. Okay? Evidence of its non-existence. Evidence of its non-existence is just important as evidence for its existence. And as a researcher, you need to look at it all. Sure. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Uh, there are just but too I many people. Go ahead. Well, I think that people um, who want to associate the the whole mystery of Bigfoot with a mystery of a portal, oh, my God, it just makes my head spin. Well, there, there are a lot of people who aren't really interested in the existence of the Sasquatch. They're just interested in pretending to be Mulder and Scully. I mean, that's, that's true as well. True. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they they love that merry-go-round. They don't want to see that merry-go-round, man. That's true. And again, it's you know, and, and look, I mean, I get it, right? I, I I you know, as I mentioned, I'm interested in Bigfoot. I've done research on it. I've been out there. I've been in the field. I haven't done as much field research as a lot of people have, and I'm the first to admit that. Although I have, you know, I have been in the field for chupacabras and <laughs> lake monsters and things like that. But again, the, the the problem is just that you know either these things are actually out there, and the techniques that are currently being used are insufficient. In which case, up your game, right? Figure out figure out what you're doing wrong and fix it so you can actually find these things. Or, or if the if the answer truly is that there are no actual Sasquatch out there, that you know that it's a combination of hoaxes, misidentifications, and whatever else, then just accept it and say. Okay, I mean it's not there, or probably not there. I mean you you can't prove a negative. I mean it's always possible something's out there, but at some point you could just say, well, you know, if they are out there, then then it's it's they're not verifiable, and we're never going to know either way. So it's just myth, mythology, and folklore, and that alone makes it worth looking into. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's been, oh my goodness. Some of the people that I've talked to that have had these encounters, I mean, they something happened because mm-hmm. they have a change in the their body language when they talk about it. They get welled up tears in their eyes. They start sweating profusely. I mean, they they have actual um, reactions to what they saw. So. You know, there's always that thing there that um, you're always like, geez, what what did they see? What right. did well, happen yeah, to and, them? And one thing that I point out is that is, and I wrote about this in one of my books, is that is that I found it, it's most useful from an investigative point of view to to recognize that when someone says they saw Bigfoot, uh, they're 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 putting a label on an experience that is. It, they, I mean, you can't, you can't definitively say I saw Bigfoot because we we don't know for a fact what Bigfoot is. All you can say is I saw something that I couldn't explain that doesn't fit in these other categories. It was big. It was hairy. I mean, you can, you can describe what you saw, but you can't logically and truthfully say for a fact I saw Bigfoot or or anything else because we don't know for a fact they exist. And so when you when you recognize that that the, the label Bigfoot. Just as a label for lake monster or ghost or whatever else, 
Um, it's useful insofar as it's labeled for an experience that they couldn't explain. And so then when, when you recognize that, then you can begin looking into, okay, well, you know, what, you know, what are other possible explanations for the sighting? And it could possibly be that there are no other, that, 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 you know, that for whatever reason we know we've ruled out everything else, and it's either a hoax or it's a, it's a Bigfoot. I mean, like the Patterson-Gimlin film is a perfect example. I mean, that's either a, a guy in a suit or it's what people would call Bigfoot. I mean, those, that's it, right? It's not, it's not an right. optical illusion. Uh, and so that's, a, that's an example of that. Wow. You exactly. know, this has been a very good show, and I, we're already through an hour, which I can't believe. It seems like we just started talking. Um, but Thomas, did you want to wrap it up with anything? Well, I'd just like to thank uh, Ben for coming on our show and uh, um, and reinforcing what I've always said that skepticism and being a skeptic is not a dirty word. A healthy dose of skepticism is the best quality a researcher can have. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And, Ben, we do want to thank you for coming on the show. I'm, I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy reading your articles. And like I said, you're a breath of fresh air in the three-ring circus of madness sometimes. It, it just – the Hendon said it well when he said that the inmates are running the asylum. Right, right. Well, I appreciate your kind yeah. words, and uh, happy to come back on some other time. We can talk more on it. Oh, that would be great. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so Great. much, Ben. Thanks a lot. Great talking to you, Ben. You too, Joe. All right, guys. Well, another great show. Uh, Thomas, we will be back oh. again with what, show number 42 today, wasn't it? Yes, episode number 42 on the Shoulders of Giant. Woohoo! All awesome. right. I'll, I'll, uh, let me know what it is. I'll, I'll flog it mercilessly as much as I can. Awesome. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having right, Great talking to you guys. It was a it was a great conversation, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Oh, we would love to. We have so many topics we could go over. It's, it's not even funny. <laughs> See okay, take care. See how take smooth care. things can go when skeptics and researchers talk to each other with open mindedness and not agenda set and accusation, so forth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good night. Yeah. All right, Thomas. Well, we'll be back again, and we appreciate everybody listening to the show. And like I said before, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or if you want to let us know about your own sighting, you could uh, drop me a line at julie.wrench at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for listening. And this is On the Shoulders of Giants, talking old-timers with Thomas Steenberg. <laughs>